What a blessing to gather one more time to worship the Lord in spirit and truth as a church family. This morning, take your Bibles, please, and open them up to Exodus chapter 40. I appreciate Elliot reading the uh, text for us this morning, the last few verses of Exodus. We come to finish it up today, and uh, it's a remarkable thing that we're finishing this book of the Bible today. There's so much more to do. You, you can't hit every single nuance of everything in a sermon series. And again, we're not here to try to become a Hebrew people and read uh, Exodus from that perspective. We're looking at Exodus with our New Testament glasses on, on this side of the resurrection, recognizing that we are Gentiles who've been grafted in to the blessing that uh, Israel experienced in the Exodus, but here we are. As I was finishing it up, just reviewing some notes earlier, this week at home, my wife walked around the table and she saw on my screen, my software that I use to pull all these things together, and she saw on the screen in big letters, Leviticus. Right, because I was looking at the last couple words of Exodus and she saw Leviticus and she walked up and you know, you pray for a godly, loving wife. We're praying for that for our sons and I pray they have one with such a keen sense of awareness of self and everything that my wife has. She walked up, she put her hands on my shoulder and I happened out of the corner of my eye, see her go. She said with a forced smile, are, are we doing Leviticus next? I said, no, no, I love Leviticus, good stuff, but it just happened to be what rolled up next after I was finishing the last couple of verses. It'll be a while before we come back to this section of Scripture as we work through the whole Bible through the years, and we'll spend some time in the New Testament coming soon, and some epistles. We'll look at the Sermon on the Mount in coming months as a church family and, and camp out with Jesus there on one of the greatest sermons ever preached and take our time with that. Today, though, as we look at this, we recognize these things come to an end. Exodus doesn't actually end. The exodus of God's people doesn't end with the last verse of Exodus 40. It continues on in Leviticus, and the story goes on. But we need to remember that Exodus began with a people enslaved. The Israelites found themselves under the violent, tyrannical rule of the pharaohs. They were bound in chains and forced to build great cities for somebody else along the Nile. They suffered and died in Egypt, the land of their captivity, a land that was not their home. But God had a plan for their rescue. According to His covenant promise, The Lord, the God of this Bible, would deliver them from Egypt and lead them to the promised land. All of this was for Israel's good and for God's glory. All through Exodus, we see the Lord's working to save His people. And whenever He explains why He is saving them, why He's doing what He's doing, He says it's to bring glory to Himself. Why did God meet Moses at the burning bush? Well, it's so the Israelites would know that he was the Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why did God tell Pharaoh to let his people go, according to Exodus 7? So his people would go out in the desert and worship him and bring him glory. Why did the Lord drown the armies of Egypt in the depths of the sea? Because he said, I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all of his army through his chariots 
and his horsemen. The Israelites gave God glory in response to the mighty acts that he gave to them. In Exodus 15, they gather and they sing this song, The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. They praise him at Mount Sinai when they receive the law. They praise him as they begin to construct the tabernacle. All of this was for their good and for the glory of God. In the Lord of the Rings, Sam looks at Mr. Frodo and asks the question in the two towers, I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. We may not say it so eloquently, but it's the question of all humanity. I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. Everyone wants to know the answer to this. The book of Exodus shows us that the word of God shows us, the God of the word tells us that we were made by him and we were made for his glory. Last week, we underscored the fact that chapters 36 through 40, the in-between of last Sunday and today, was the act of joyful, generous-hearted obedience. Today we open, actually, we finish that passage. If you look at verse 33, the last little verse before you get to this, you'll see Moses finished the work. Do you see it in your Bibles right before verse 34, the last sentence of verse 33? So Moses finished the work. This is how Moses set up the tabernacle. He did everything right. Over and over again, the Bible says that he set up the tabernacle just the way God told him to set it up. We're going to break our passage down this morning. Three looks here at the passage in front of us in Exodus 40, and then one New Testament look as we wrap this thing up. First note this morning, preparing for God's glory. You're taking notes, write that down, preparing for God's glory. It's really all of 40 verses 1 through 33. It's what gets us to here. Just as a matter of recap for your reading this week that you all did, yeah, Chapter 36, all the craftsmen and artisans made the curtains and the coverings. I know you all like that visual image we had up a while back of the tabernacle. So here it is again. Uh, I don't know when I'll bring it up again because we finished Exodus today. I don't know if I mentioned that. All the craftsmen and artisans made the curtains and the coverings. Chapter 37, the ark was constructed exactly as the Lord had directed. The table and the lampstand and the altar of incense and the holy anointing oil was mixed together by the perfumers. Chapter 38, the altar of the burnt offering is constructed. The bronze basin is fashioned and installed. All four sides of the partitions needed for the court were prefabbed. By the way, that's what's happening in those chapters. Everything's being prefabbed, if you will, to be delivered to Moses. And it's all being done under the watchful eye of Bezalel and Ohaliah. Chapter 39, the priestly garments. Look at them one more time. Their garments were made, all the pieces were knit together, knit together rather, for inspection. If you've got your Bibles and look at chapter 39, verses 32 and 33, you'll see this, this text. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the people of Israel did according to all the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did, and they brought the tabernacle to Moses. You didn't know it was a modular, 
did you? You didn't know it was a mobile home, but that's exactly what they did. Well, you did after it was built, right? Because they moved it around, but it was brought to Moses in pieces. And Moses inspects all of the pieces. And this is the challenge, right? I've got some uh, architects and some engineers and some employers or lots of engineers and some contractors in the room and watching online. And you know how you hold your breath during the inspection. Well, they're bringing it to the prophet of God that has seen the Red Sea part and thrown down his rod and it turned into a snake, picked it up again. He's called down all these incredible things from God. He's talked to God in the burning bush. He's seen the glory of God and, and now you're bringing your work to him for an okay, an attaboy. Well, it not only passes inspection, the Bible says Moses blessed them for what they had done. And then chapter 40 begins with the Lord telling Moses, all right, you've got all the pieces, now put it together. The instruction comes, the Lord speaks to Moses saying, on the first day of the first month, erect the tabernacle and the tent of meeting. So Moses does it just as the Lord instructs. Verses 16 and 17 says he does it, he puts it together, and the tabernacle was erected. Now, that was a quick drive-by of those chapters showing you how it was prefab Moses blessed it and now he's putting it together here's the thing though as as cool as it was to have all that put together uh, any Lego builders in the room this morning any Lego lovers yeah I've got some with Lego things right you get the big pieces you've seen the Millennium Falcon that's got how many pieces like thousands I don't know just lots and lots of pieces you look at it and think that's cool kids y'all build this daddy wants it on his desk right because I Patience, it requires a lot of patience and virtue. You think about all those pieces coming together and how awesome it is to have everything built and in place, right? Those of you that have constructed a home, when you had that home built and in place, it was just a house until you got inside. And then it became your home, the place where you dwell, the place where you make your abode, if you will. So all of this is going to be built, and it's going to look good. It's going to look exactly like the Lord did, but that's not the big issue before the Israelites. They're wondering, will the Lord actually come down like he said he would? Everything's in place. The only thing missing was the presence of God, and that was not something Moses could install. And even though we look at church culture today in 2021 and look at all of the workings of men's hands trying to work up an experience and make something happen and, and prefab, if you will, the glory and the presence of God, that's not how any of this works. The final touches are put on. The court around the tabernacle and the altar was needed to remind folks that this was distinct. You couldn't just come in any way you wanted to, but I want you to look at this last verse here. It's the finishing touch right before we got to our passage. It says, and he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. I wonder why the pastor paused and gave emphasis on the word gate. I don't know. I'm sure he'll come back to it later. I don't know. He's kind of weird. He's talking to himself now on the stage. There was hope. Walk through with me just a minute the mind of the Israelites. We've done this thing God told us to do. God said his glory was going to come down. The last time we got near it, we were scared to death. What happens when God shows up? Is he going to kill us all? I mean, does he come down and then consume all this? And what happens? 
Everything's in place, but there's hope. Look, there's a gate. There's a way in for sinners. You see, even the priest, after they go through all the processes of being things, there's still sinners that had to be purified before they got into the Holy of Holies and into the Tent of Meeting. There is an entrance for people to come inside, but there's only one, one small gate. The work is finished. Would it happen? How long would they have to wait? Can you, can you be an Israelite with me for just a second on the side of the mountain thinking, hey, the last time Moses said he was going up to meet with God, he was gone for 40 days. How long are we going to have to wait on this thing? Not long. It's point two this morning. The glory of God, God's glory comes down. It's one thing for man to be pleased with his accomplishments. It's another thing entirely for God to express his pleasure with his glory. I'm reminded of a couple of verses in Proverbs. A man uh, thinks his ways are right. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but its purpose, it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Moses finished the work. The people watched. They didn't have long to wait because then the Bible says the last curtain as it was tied, the last fence post put into place, the prophet stepped away. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This was the divine seal of approval. All the work that had happened over all these chapters, all the prescription and description of everything that had to happen in those middle chapters of Exodus and then the execution we saw over the last five chapters it's all in place and God has poured out his presence and glory it's different this time though Uh, the people had seen glimpses of the glory of God before They had seen the pillar of cloud and fire as they fled Egypt. They had seen the miracle at the Red Sea parting the waters, a glimpse of glory. They had seen fire and smoke on Mount Sinai when God thundered the law down. It was spectacular for them. Moses had gotten the closest, but none of the Israelites had ever seen the glory of God come to earth in radiant splendor like this. For those of you taking the extra time to dig in and study God's Word on your own, this is what we refer to as a theophany. It's a visible manifestation of the invisible God. The filling of the tabernacle with the glory of God is a promise. God is writing a check that will be cashed at a later date. When the whole earth, Habakkuk 2 says, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Can you imagine? It's not just that all will be made right. It's not just that there'll be no more crimes and and no more racism and, and no more murders and no more sickness. It's not just that. It's that everything will be made new and the glory of the Lord will cover it all. It'll be a day when we see Jesus face to face. We will see in full what Moses only glimpsed here in this moment. We will gaze upon the Lamb who was slain and we will cry with all of heaven, worthy, worthy is the Lamb of God. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. 
the glory of God came down. The title of the sermon, and it really is this, though. It was just a taste of his glory. It not only dazzled them, as Eliot pointed out when he read the scripture this morning, it led them. Your third point this morning is God's glory leads them. Make that note, please. God's glory leads them. The scripture tells us that the glory of God would remain there until it was time for the people to leave. While the cloud and the glory stayed, they met together in the tabernacle. When the cloud and glory left, the people left. You see that play out later on in the early books of the Bible. They couldn't mistake when the Lord wanted them to stay or to go. Remember, the tabernacle is placed right in the center of all of the families and tribes for them to see. Think about that. It's right in the middle. God's glory, God's presence, God's leading was at the center of life for Israel. That's the way God designed it for them. This is God's design for you this morning. With the Holy Spirit inside of those who have been transformed by the power of God and who are in Christ, the Holy Spirit in you, leading you to and through the Word. Wow. They'd made it. They had it made in the shade, didn't they? I mean, all they had to do was follow God's instructions and he would lead them so clearly. Surely they wouldn't mess this up. (laughs) Have you met people? Yeah. Have you met me? As you go through God's word, you read Jewish history and you discover that it doesn't continue this way for all time. The incredible, spectacular manifestation of God's glory departs from the tabernacle and the, pe- and the people when the priests and the people sinned against the Lord. Later, Solomon would dedicate the temple and God's glory would once again come and fill the temple to dwell with his people. But it was only for a moment. Once again, their sins would drive away the glory of God. The next time God's glory came to earth in a spectacular display for all to see was in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We shared this passage earlier on when Moses went up to Mount Sinai and had that glimpse of the glory of God. But in John 1:14, the Bible says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I told you that word for dwelt there, it's the same word used for tabernacle but look beyond that and we have seen his church can you say it glory wow glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth that's a great transition to our final point this morning jesus is the lord of glory Jesus is the Lord of glory. What's the tabernacle about? What is Exodus about? It's about the gospel. It's about Jesus, and it points even to us as the church and our role in redemptive history. I hinted at this earlier when Moses caught a passing glimpse at God's glory on the mountain. Listen to me. Moses did not see the glory of God head on in Exodus. 
He saw glimpses of the glory of God. He saw more than anyone else. But it was not until later that Moses saw the glory of God on the earth in the face of Christ. I'm not going to put the passages on the screen. I don't believe so this morning, Mark. But if you've got your Bibles, flip over to Luke chapter 9. While you're turning there, I want you to make a note by Exodus 40 as well. that That's where you're going. Luke 9, 28 through 36. Matthew, Mark, Luke 9, 28 through 36. We won't, we won't read all of the passage here, but I'm going to ask you to follow along as I'm summarizing. Jesus displayed his glory at the mount of what's called the Mount of Transfiguration. It's remarkable. To Peter and John. It's pretty spectacular. His face is altered. His clothes are dazzling white. And the cloud appears. And who comes down to see him? Moses and Elijah. Previously, Moses could not see God's face, but now he beheld him. It's like God was saying, you want to see my glory? Here you go. Moses was talking with Jesus face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Luke even adds this incredible detail. Look in your Bible at verse 31, Luke 9, 31, and see what it says. Who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Can you underline that word, departure? Guess what the same word used for departure is? Take a deep breath, exodus. Come on, y'all. I can't make this stuff up. This is awesome. I mean, my nerd alert was on full display when I was there. I had to get up. I walked around. Some of you have been there for years. It's fine. I'm catching up with some of you Bible scholars. But I got up. It was a good moment between me and the Lord. Like, it's all tying together beautifully. Jesus was about to lead the ultimate exodus through his death and resurrection. The disciples didn't understand it. They thought there should be a tent of meeting put there. Right? Like, take a Sharpie and do this. Cover the margins and just draw all the way to it. It's just incredible. They think there should be a tent of meeting there. And God says, no, you don't need a tent. You just need to, watch this, listen to what he says. If we would quit looking for experiences all over the place and trying to build monuments to experiences and start just listening to the word or maybe as one preacher has said multiple times in the heart of south end get into the word so the word can get into you this gives us great hope this morning the tabernacle in all of its glory point to the glory of god in christ our glorious god has shown himself he's revealed himself he's revealed his glory to humanity on many occasions in a grand scale Let's get some big picture here before we land the plane this morning. God's glory was present in Eden as he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. It was present at Mount Sinai when he thundered down the law. It was present in the tabernacle and in the temple. It was revealed in Christ Jesus in his truly human and truly divine nature. God's glory is revealed on earth right now, take a deep breath, through us. The church and Christians who are walking in his spirit. And one day it will be fully known and shown for all in the new creation. 
the tabernacle pointed to Christ. Christ points to the church. And if you'll indulge me for just a moment, I'm ahead of schedule, so take a breath. But indulge me for just a moment. Let me nerd out on the tabernacle pointing to the church. Listen, like the ark, we are the place where God reigns visibly. Like the table, we are the place where God eats with his people in the communion meal. Like the lampstand, we are the place from which the light of the gospel shines in a dark world. We're the place where people can find life in Christ. Like the law, we are the place where creation is being reordered. We are of a kingdom that's not of this world. And like the priests, we know what it's like to enter the presence of God. The tabernacle pointed to Jesus. Jesus points to the church. Newsflash, the church points right back to Jesus and the new creation that's coming. Moses had to have all of the pieces in place for God to show up. Think about it. Every piece had to be done with as much earthly perfection as possible for God to show up. We read this passage in Family Devotions just last night. And I said, is the lesson here from Exodus that we have to get all the pieces of our life in perfect order before God will show up? I said, no. No, the lesson is there's a gate. There's a door. There's an entrance to get in. And God's the one that's done the work. The Bible says in Galatians 4, not only were not all the pieces in place and perfection, listen to what the Bible says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as son. Can I just remind you for a moment, when Jesus showed up on this earth, everything was broken. Sin was rampant. Bethlehem was not the tidy little place that we make it when we do our Christmas presentations, right? For the kids, all clean and tidy, and the innkeepers, I'm sorry, there's no room. There's no room, right? Or however it's said. And, and then they just kind of walk neatly over to the side. It was a desolate place, ravaged by sin and crime. One of my favorite little kids' versions of the Bible is a Jesus storybook Bible. If you'll allow me, indulge me for just a moment, I'm gonna read this passage from there entitled, He's Here. Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people, just as he promised from the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed to him, seas would have roared, trees would have clapped their hands, but the earth held its breath. And when no one was looking in the darkness, he came. And there, in a stable amongst the chickens and the donkeys and the cows and the quiet of the night, God gave the world his wonderful gift. The baby that would change the world was born his baby son. Mary and Joseph wrapped him up to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used the animal's feeding trough as his cradle and they gazed in wonder at God's great gift wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And Mary and Joseph said, called him Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us because, of course, he had. 
right now, today, you and I live in a world that God has entered in human form. We live in a world in which God walked and ate and spoke. A world in which Jesus lived and died and rose again to life on the third day. And we live in a world in which Jesus continues to be present among us through His Spirit. What's the message of Exodus fulfilled in Jesus Christ? Once we were in bondage to sin, held by its tyranny, but through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, God has delivered us from the Egypt of our sin. Now He is leading us through the wilderness of this earth and all of its difficulties and dangers and frustrations and brokenness, this great God of the Exodus, though, will never, ever leave us or forsake us. In the church, he set up a sanctuary where even now we may enter his presence for worship and one day soon, Jesus will come down in glory and take us up into glory that will never end Everyone who trusts in him will be saved for the glory of God. Wow. Exodus. What a book. What a God. What a gospel. Because of God's great mercy and grace and love this morning, you and I have the opportunity to glorify God and enjoy him forever. For all of eternity, experiencing the fullness of the glory and the majesty and the splendor in bodies that will have to be remade so that we can actually take it. But it's going to be awesome. How do we prepare for this? Remember that gate that I told you about? That one little entrance into the tabernacle? That small curtain so that sinners could actually get in? Well, in John chapter number 10, Jesus said, I am the door if anyone enters by me he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture sinner this morning you have a choice you can stay outside of the presence of God as an onlooker by so doing you are inviting the wrath of God for all of eternity on your life instead of experiencing his glory that you were made for <laughs> That's a broad way, the Bible says, that leads to destruction. Matthew 7 tells us to enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. No, no, come through that door. Here's how you prepare for God's glory. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ. The free gift of grace for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent of your sins. Put your faith and trust in the Lord alone as your only hope of salvation. Be made new by the power of God. Let's stand this morning. I'm going to call the musicians back and I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to take that moment to respond to the text. I'm going to have a stand and do that quietly. Musicians, come on up and take your place. For the believer this morning, we're faced with a choice, a similar challenge that Israel had. Sinner, will you stay on the outside or come in? Believer, I wonder, 
Will we continue to be amazed at Christ and all that He's done? Or will we become indifferent to the good news and try to chart a better way like the Israelites did so many times? It's my prayer this morning that we will continue to marvel at His grace and adore Christ and see how easy an Old Testament book points to our New Testament Savior. Take a moment. Ask the Lord to do a deep and abiding work in you before we sing.